Welcome to the Footyology Podcast with Rowan Connolly and Rodney E. G'day everyone, welcome to the Footyology Podcast. This is the round 14 preview. We're halfway through the buy rounds, different sides having played different amounts of games, uh, different players from different clubs in different parts of the globe. I saw a, a shot uh, just before of Mason Cox lounging around in Bali, so uh, uh, interesting yeah. times. For clubs, as I say, a very big hello to my co-host, Mr. Rodney Ead. And uh, Rocket, as a former AFL coach, uh, this must have been an anxious time of year for you where you saw your players off in various uh, locations and perhaps were a little bit toey about what they might be getting up to. Yeah, especially at Collingwood, Mason Cox catching up catching up with Jordan Tagoe. He's in Bali too, isn't he? He's gone there <laughs> early. So. <laughs> um yeah, well, in my time of coaching, most were uh, in Australia rather than um, overseas. But it's still, it's interesting for me as a coach that the when clubs give them the five day break that they're supposed to have, and having experience of you know you do your review and you're recovering for a couple of days, and then they have the five day break. Every time players have been away for five days, every every time, whether I coach Sydney Bulldogs, Gold Coast Suns. The first training back was absolute garbage. Absolute garbage. I reckon at least four players did hamstrings in that period of time, uh, the first day back. So to my mind, it was always get your break early as soon as you can. Don't do a review. They go off straight away. Have their five days. Come back. Have the first uh, training session of just going half pace just to get rid of the dirty water out of the system. Get them back onto terra firma, and then you can build up from there. So I'm interested to see these teams... uh, whether anyone uh, does do um, soft tissue injuries post post their bye week in. Oh, it's a simple way to avoid that rocket. Just don't train before that first game back. <laughs> it's a good one. Well, they have a garbage. That's their first time back. So when they play, they'll be absolutely half pace. So um, you've got to get them, have to get them right, right. Well, some of those uh, some of those signs we're talking about, you wouldn't know the difference between uh, a training session and a match performance anyway. <laughs> it's a bit harsh. Uh, True, a bit hard. All right, we've got a lot to talk about, and uh, I'll leave it to your side. Uh, pretty important stuff going on with the match review officer uh, and the tribunal. Um, so uh, we've got uh, six games to preview as well. Plenty on the card. Let's get into it. On Footyology Newsfeed. All right, absolute mayhem with the MRO Tribunal, the footy world in uproar, Rocket. I'm not one for doing the chicken little stuff, the sky's falling, the sky's falling, but I'm telling you, I cannot believe some of the stuff that's going on. So Dan Butler uh, originally handed a one-game penalty for a chase-down tackle on Nick Blakey. Uh, He got a reprieve at the Tribunal, and I think uh, 99% of the football world would be uh, in agreement that that was the right choice. Uh, Ryan Mansell of Richmond, three games for a bump on Fremantle's James Aish. Uh, that's disturbed a lot of people, but a bump and tackle, different kettle of fish. We'll get into this. Uh, and the big one, and I've got to say, I, I just can't believe this one at all. James Sicily, who launched himself into midair, had no control over uh, his balance, had a teammate come in and also disrupt the trajectory of Hugh McLuggage, the tackle player. Uh, no malice at all. It's a tackle and yet somehow ends up with a three-game penalty. Uh, and I think, in all seriousness, Rocket, the ramifications of this are huge because I get the thing about responsibility and duty of care and whatever, but in, in certain tackling situations, and this surely is a textbook one, you don't have that level of control. So it becomes a lucky dip, and the result will be that there'll be plenty of situations where it's easier or safer uh, for a player not to tackle because of the risk of suspension. How how are you saying? Oh, very much so. I think, uh, yeah, and I think too, was one in the Monday game, I think, players, I think it was Murphy of Collingwood, trying to milk a free kick, being tackled to the ground, and then he actually pushed his head to his own head to the ground uh, trying to and he and he got a free kick, but so there's so there's danger in that as well as uh, uh, now players trying to milk a free kick. Uh, 
extensively. But there seems to be now to be three types of tackles that they're adjudicating on. The dump tackle or the sling tackle, which were two tackles, now they're really into the one thing, a head hits the ground. There's the um, chase from behind tackle, which Nick Holman last year, and the AFL saying there's two motions. Well, they're not two motions. The second motion is really the player who's being chased or has got the ball goes to his knees because he's surprised, and then it's his momentum that actually is the second movement. It's not the tackler that's got the second uh, movement. Then there's the James Sisley one, which is probably one where you've got no control of your own uh, equilibrium. You know, you're losing you know, your feet in a desperation tackle. His was a desperation tackle, which we want to see. He probably didn't... If he grabbed McCluggage a bit higher up in his arms, his head probably wouldn't hit the ground, but because he was a little bit lower and he's pinned the hand, the whole body is a bit like a projectile in many ways. So... Yeah, I, I I felt that uh, I felt that Sicily's should have been left off. It was a it was a footy incident and a footy accident in many ways. Um, and uh, if we're going to adjudicate on everything like that, it uh, it end up being as you say that players won't tackle or they'll tackle very cautiously, which will take the fabric of our gun or dilute the fabric of our gun. Well, there's a lot of conspiracy theories about it as to why they're going this road, uh, and it's an attempt to sort of insulate themselves from uh, from class actions against concussion and that sort of stuff down the track. I, I just reckon if that, is, if that is the end game, and I sort of get that from a legal financial standpoint, but have the courage to come out and say that and say we're going to simply have to change the rules because otherwise we're going to have years of this with, with guys executing tackles that are totally legitimate, totally lacking in malice, and then because of momentum, body weight, angles, or whatever reason, someone's head hits the ground and they are concussed. And that then becomes on the shoulders of the tackling player. That is absolutely unfair. There was nothing untoward about what Sicily did. In fact, I mean, here's the greatest disparity of the lot, Rocket. This is the part that just... I find gobsmacking. He was paid a free kick for holding the ball, James Sicily, and the upshot is of it, he's suspended for three weeks. Look back, oh, back in your day, but I mean, you got three weeks of belting someone. You never, ever, ever would have won a free kick for something and then been suspended. The system is broken if that's happening. Yeah, it's obviously. Well, I think it's obviously that you know, it's litigation. It's uh, it's it's going to court. Um, scenario that the AFL are worried about. But wouldn't it be part of their contract going forward that we are going to legislate against and try and protect players as much as possible by A, B, C and D? But there are going to be circumstances where there's an accident, accidental, e.g. Butler, e.g. Holman last year, e.g. Sicily this year. So examples, and then update that contract as it goes along. But and a player signs a contract. If they're up for that, okay, and it's already documented, um, that it, now they've got no recourse to come back and actually be able to sue. So I think we've got to maintain the level integrity of the game. If we don't, it'll end up being like AFL 9's down a track 10 years' time, and whether that's appealing to supporters and um, hunters and members, um, time will tell. Well, um, that's probably an issue for a lot of uh, global uh, sport really, I mean, I can, you know, NFL and their concussion stuff. Yeah, maybe it's going to be a, a, an issue for rugby league. The, the other thing that gets me about this though is the um, I, uh, just the incongruousness. Is that a word? <laughs> of uh, actions that are dangerous and unnecessary being penalised uh, less than natural football actions, and you know. Is sometimes you compare apples with oranges, but I think in this, we've got to a state now, and just bear with me because it takes some explaining this, but we need to step back from the the ticking of the boxes, careless, um, what the consequences of the tackle were, and just have a look at this action versus that, that action. And last night, in the wake of the Sicily decision, there was two I was looking at. I was looking at the Sicily tackle, and I thought, okay, this guy's launched himself in midair to make a tackle. It's a great footy effort 
He's nailed the guy on the tackle. He's off balance, so he can't control where the guy lands. Of course, it's bad that Hugh McLeod gets concussed, but sometimes it's just one of those things. A guy who has executed a pretty good football action and wins a free kick for it, like that's, that is football. He gets three weeks for that. And then I saw the footage of the Cozzy Pickett bump on Bailey Smith from earlier this year. Now, Cozzy Pickett got two weeks for that because, basically, because Bailey Smith bounced up and went on and played up the game. But have a look at the actions. One is a tackle trying to dispossess a player of the ball. The other one is a late bump where the guy executing the bump can't have any impact on play. It's dangerous. It's high. He launches himself in the air. That gets two games, and the guy executing the tackle gets three. Now, I don't care about the different circumstances, whatever. That is fundamentally wrong, surely. It is, and I think that uh, was very well articulated, Roll. Um, you, Rock. But, but you're right, when Pickett got two and, and that McAdam got three and he's, he was a projectile. He could have yeah. really put the guy into next week and he got three. But Sicily, to, A, to get any weeks, but to get three was completely uh, – it, it, it just doesn't parallel with anything else that's gone on. And it's just like see, they're making it up on the spot as we go along. And okay, we'll wait for this one to happen and we'll wait for this one to happen. And the unintended consequences of all this is it's the players are in confusion. The coaches, even Chris Scott, are saying that they're in confusion about how they can tackle and what they do. And I saw that the read that uh, the AFL sent out a memo was a video to each club, and there's seven clubs that didn't even pass it on to players because they reckon it, it's 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 so grey at the moment and so much confusion that they didn't want to confuse their players anymore. So no. so it's in a it's it's in a pile of state to be honest. Well, okay, so I'll, I'll just play hypothetical here. Say you're coaching an AFL club right now this week. Are, are you uh, – well, Marcus Bontempelli got in this situation where there was speculation about whether he might get rubbed out. Are you going to round up your best half a dozen players or most important to you and say to them, listen, just stay out of the way of physical contact. Don't Definitely don't bump. Uh, but even don't tackle because it's not worth the risk of us not having you for the next two to three weeks. No, I wouldn't um, because that's a key element of the game is being able to dispossess the opposition. Um, scoring on turnover um, is, a, is a high percentage of your score. We defend and teams defend really stringent. And we talk about you know the defence being a cornerstone of the game. If you don't put pressure on, you don't not so much bump, but if you don't tackle, the opposition got a free rate and it'll end up being it'll end up being scores 160 and 150. That's what'll happen. We'll end up being going back and forth with it'll be like that AFLX or whatever we had at the time. Like it's just it's not the way we want to play footy. We we need to be able to pressure. I think what Bont and Pelly did it shows that what the AFL have cracked down on and some tackles on the weekend you saw that players are getting used to it. Okay, they're adjusting. Not everything's going to be perfect, and there are going to be some footy accidents. I reckon Sicily was just a footy accident. It was a, it was part of the game. It's like a head clash in a marking contest. You know, McVeigh and Hurd hit themselves that time. What well, are they going to suspend McVeigh for hitting Hurd with his head? Like it's just in a marking. If that was opposition players, would they would they suspend them nowadays? I like there are going to be foot. It's a contact sport. We've got to, it's part of our game. I think the AFL are on the right track to try and minimise. Uh, some impact and protect players, but I think they've got to be careful not going too far. And and you have to affect that change with uh, rule changes rather than penalising guys for the existing framework. I mean, I mean that is the bottom line, isn't it? It's a high it's a high speed physical contact game, and in that sort of game, there will be injuries through incidental contact, which can happen a number of ways. As you say, are you going to start penalising teammates for uh, friendly fire incidents? And, and you, you even look to Jonathan Brown and Justin Kaczynski, who, and they even admitted themselves, their peripheral vision and awareness wasn't great. So they're going to be players who are going to pop more knocks because of their own situation and their own lack of awareness. So what is the, where's the 
Where's the um, ownership or accountability of a player who actually gets hit in the head? What, what do they contribute rather than the person who actually had the act? So there's not 100% uh, ruling on this. And I think the AFL have just got to be careful, as I said, that they don't go too far and push it into the box that's going to affect the game. And look, as we wrap up this discussion, and yes, I'm aware of the irony of this, but there, I, I think the other sad part is that it means that virtually every week now we have this prolonged discussion of this incident, that incident, the penalties, the inevitable challenging at the tribunal, and it, it takes the focus away from the point of the whole exercise, which is the game. Oh, exactly, and that's what happens with the AFL. It's the unintended consequence. The unintended consequence now is we're going to be discussing this every week, and it's going to be done with a five-two game with the AFL are doing it on the run, what, which which actions are penalised or not, and they've got to come out with a ruling. And And I reckon part of that ruling has got to be there are football accidents and football incidents that we we can't help um, that, are go, that are not going to be penalised, which have, like, I reckon these, I reckon the Sicily one and the Butler one. And they've got to be able to, at the moment, they're just letting it run to see what pops up. So they're, they're doing it on the run and seeing which incidents pop up, and then we'll adjudicate on that. Well, you may have hit the nail on the head before when you talked about um, AFLX. I mean, maybe that was Gill's end game. He's trying to get the game towards AFLX with, you know, little circus acts and fire eaters and uh, teams called the, the Raptors or the Deadlies or whatever they were. Um, that'd be great, wouldn't it, Rocket? You turn up. Well, well it showed the people didn't turn up. It's not, the, it's not the product we want to see. So they've got to be careful if they mix with the product too much uh, that it... it Goes over, tips over that edge, goes over that demarcation line, and all of a sudden, oh, people start to drop off. All right, well, let's move on. Uh, thanks for indulging that fairly weekly discussion, but it, it is very important stuff. And so is this, because uh, mid season, sides having a break here and there, uh, mid season report cards coming out, but uh, we'll call this sort of a de facto new segment and uh oh what should we call it i'm just making this up as i go maybe rockets blowtorch under the no, it's not a blowtorch i don't want to don't want to um i just want to put some good players under the pump okay as I'm i say just, just doing the headlines oh, oh sorry, sorry mate. Okay. you've got to look yeah, yeah, yeah i'm not on that sort of thing okay, okay. Yeah, well, yeah, okay. you can be dramatic I, I think we'll call it this week we'll call it rockets give them a serve <laughs> now we'll, we'll negotiate this but anyway uh, to set it up, um, we're going to talk about three very, very good players uh, who perhaps aren't delivering their best at the moment. What's the state of play? What's wrong? What do they need to do? Uh, and three this week. I'll set it up for you, Rocket, and then you just tee off to your heart's content. I'm not going to tell. But anyway, <laughs> keep going. <laughs> Let's start with uh, Carlton midfielder Sam Walsh. Um, now, just to drilling down on a, a couple of numbers. Uh, his disposal average currently this season, 29.7, down from 32.1. Uh, fewer clearances, I noticed, uh, compared to last year. But having seen that Carlton Essendon game uh, on Sunday night, Rocket, the thing I noticed most about uh, Walsh's game was the perhaps quality of disposal or lack thereof. So uh, interested in your thoughts, What's going on with Sam Walsh? Yeah, he's had 35 possessions in the weekend, which is probably more than he's had for quite a while. Uh, but he was ranking in the game was about 25th or 27th or something. And Zach Merritt had 18 possessions, was ranked 7th in the game. So what I have seen of Sam Walsh in the past, his ability to make good decisions and all that, we know he's a good player and he can win his contested ball, was able to break the lines and make good decisions with the ball. So be on the end of uh, uh, possession or break away from the stoppage. I've noticed a few weeks ago, and I reckon he's getting some bad habits. He's starting to get some handballs around the back. Then he kicks it off one or two steps. And I think that equates to not hitting targets as well as you've said with his with his possession rate, as far as his disposal efficiency. And I think he's, he's getting possession. Like you said, 35 the weekend, but... There was only once or twice I saw he broke a line. He's getting him in the wrong spots. He's getting him around the back, goes on the left foot, dodges and weaves, and then comes back again, and then quick kicks. 
that's not the Sam Walsh that I've seen in the past. Sam Walsh has been the gut runner. He's been the, and they're not a quick side, but he offers them that and some tough possessions going forward. To me, it's going sideways. It's going around the corner. And now we can easily talk about Patrick Cripson. I think Pat Patrick's just in a just in a form slot and Mackay, and they're the two main ones that have been looked at. But I think Sam Walsh, uh, the way he's playing the game, and it might be because he's trying so hard that lack of trust in his teammates, he's got to get the ball and measure himself by disposals. Well, I think he's got to take the Zach Merritt model as, well, it's not all about disposals, it's where you get them, how you, what you do with them, but also tackling and pressure on the other side of the equation. I think Sam just needs to, just his radar or his, his needle just to be realigned a bit. All right. That's uh, very well articulated, Rocket. And um, I like the coaching perspective on this. It's it's not just, okay, this guy's got a problem. How do we fix the problem? Um, and that's very well articulated as to how Sam Walsh can do that. All right, let's go to player number two. And it is Western Bulldogs key forward, Aaron Norton, uh, who's kicked 24 goals this year. So his goal-kicking average uh, down to 1.9 per game from the 2.3 it was last year, taking fewer marks, not dramatically different, but his mark average has gone down to 4.3 from 4.7. His conversion is always a bit of an issue, isn't it? But, um, I mean, look, I'm, from a layman's point of view, I'm, I'm just seeing someone that doesn't seem to be exerting that sort of really threatening menacing forward presence he was last year. Uh, what, what's going on with him? Well, I think I think he's still working hard. Um, I think he's a victim of their style of play. That I think, you now he's such a an athletic, uh, aggressive player and hunts the ball, hunts the ball on the ground really well. Obviously, his biggest issue is his lack of conversion. I think against the Gold Coast was one, they could have put him four goals to nil up and I reckon they would have won the game if he'd done that. I know it's in the first quarter, but the Suns kicked two of the next goals. He did one on the weekend as well um, and one the week before where he's just got to convert. Now, that's separate. I'm not even talking about that because that's been an age-old problem. But I think he's a victim of their style where there's times where he's just led and they don't kick it to him. Seems to me like let's kick it to Aaron on his head and he'll do the rest or he'll create a contest and Waitman and Jones will go to work or other players will go to work. Um, but... I think it's so predictable that everyone's all the opposition are crowding Norton. So he's having less of an impact. The opposition are running the ball out a little bit easier. Um, so I think probably he needs to change his style a little bit, but I think the Bulldogs do to give him the best chance. If, it, if it's unpredictable that he's getting marks on the lead and he's getting marks in the air, well, it's unpredictable. At the moment, it's all about Mark in a contest, and I reckon he. I don't I hate to see the stats, but I reckon he's probably going for fifty contests, and he's getting four marks. And isn't uh, that which I know conversion? To me, it sounds like a classic case of um, he's a victim of his own greatest strength, which is his fantastic aerial marking. So the Bulldogs are more even subconsciously they think, all right, if I just do the quick dump kick and chuck it up in the air, this guy's such a great mark, he's going to mark it. Whereas if it was, let's say, Buddy Franklin, who hasn't been great overhead you're going to be more careful about putting it to him out on the lead, right? Yeah, and I, yeah, and I think the other thing too is if they lower their eyes a bit more, the Bulldogs going forward, it doesn't necessarily have to be Norton all the time. Mm. It seems to be Norton or bust or a quick breakthrough. And um, I think Hawkins plays it really well when they played the Bulldogs. He took Jones, he sacrificed his game, but he still kicked goals. So Norton, so going to other targets going to different players, have a bit of a system where pick the best option. Uh, well, this is where we kick it to a certain time, so it doesn't have to be not. He'll end up kicking more goals anyway. He'll end up getting more opportunities because the opposition will start to drop off him. Um, at the moment, it just seems all him, and he's got such a high work rate. And as I said, he's very good on the ground, but his contest in the air is great, comes to the ground. But there's so many players around, it's difficult for him to have an impact on the ground as well. So I think he's just a victim of uh, maybe the Bulldog style. And ironic too, isn't it? The pre-season we were talking about their tall forward strategy and you had, you know, Norton, Wobb, uh, Darcy, uh, Eugle Hagen and you're kicking goals and lack of forward targets is a real issue. Yeah, but I think it's just, I think they're going to one player. Um, 
you know, Hugo Hagler's playing up a bit more, which is fine, and he's he's only a kid and he's he's starting to progress. Lobb's been disappointing, um, so it seems to be a lack of confidence. They're not kicking it to him, and he's not having any impact. So I might be uh, hard on Norton here, but he's got to work out how he now can get more into the game and have more of an impact. Whether he talks to the coach, whether they change their style, but they there was a chances against I think it was Geelong where he they showed him. He, he's leading, he was out. The player with the ball, one was Bailey Day, it was a good kick. They decided to kick it long to the goal square where he was had a break of three or four metres on his opponent where they've just got to hit those targets. Most teams are doing that now. You know, when they go inside 50, they're just not bombing the ball. All right, uh, good uh, summary. I, I think personally, the first thing he's got to do is ditch the headband because he's looking way too much like the late Paul Gray, the front man for 80s synth band. Well, well I noticed against the against the Suns, he was running the ball. His headband was starting to come off, so he was more worried about getting his headband back on than running after the footy. Well, it wasn't a great look. Yeah. I, I, to do yourself a favour, Rocket. Look up Wawani, stimulation, sugar-free. <laughs> I could make you love me. He is a dead ringer for Paul. Great. Uh, speaking of which, the third guy we're going to talk about, every time I see him play, I always think he should be one of the cast members of Home and Away. Uh, definitely summer bay material, but uh, he's also a pretty good footballer. We're talking about Sydney's Isaac Heaney, but it's not all going for him at the moment. Here's a, a couple of quick numbers on him. Uh, his goal return certainly isn't great this year. 10 goals, 8 in 12 games. So it's an average of 0.8 goals per game. Last year, he was averaging 2 goals per game. So that's the most significant drop-off for Heaney. Disposals are a little bit down on last year, averaging 15.6, down from 16.4. And clearances, he was getting some decent uh, clearance stuff happening last year, averaging 2.2 a game. That's come down to 1.8 this year. But just not impacting games and big chunks of games where he just goes missing, Robert. Yeah. What, what's the issue for Isaac Haney? Yeah, I think last year that he uh, he he had some really good form early in the season and dropped away you saw, and then become spasmodic, a bit like the Jordan Dugowie. I think I've given that analogy before. If it was Jordan Dugowie, who's the bad boy image, um, was heavily criticised for his spasmodic play a couple of years ago where Isaac, I think, and, and probably been off Broadway as well, probably escaped scrutiny. Um because he is a match winner. He is a very good player. At the weekend, um, with, with their injuries, they started putting him in the centre square a bit more. So it hasn't lifted his disposal uh, rate enormously. But he had six tackles on the weekend, which is a really good turn. So that shows he's starting to work out. So he's shows that he's down on form um, and he's trying to do something about it. But probably close to home for him. Callum Mills, to me, went from a halfback flanker. They put him in the middle. Now he's... Their most, I know he's had injured, but he's their most reliable player and become an extremely good player in the competition. Probably one of the better midfielders. Isaac Heaney needs to do that. He just can't be seen as a match winner every now and then as a forward pocket who can take a mark and kick a goal and kicks two goals a game. Like he, he needs, he's got more talent than that. And I think now with their injury crisis, and I know they've thrown him in the midfield and his confidence may be down a bit, but he needs to lift to be able to give him that Callum Mills leadership. Um, and spark in the midfield where it's built on hard work, tackling, probably shutting a player out, and then be able to work off him. So he needs that work rate. As I said last week, he's had six tackles, which is a positive in the right direction, and he needs to keep building on that to be really take over the leadership role there. This segment's not going to work, Rocket. It's just far too reasoned, far too articulate, far too much evidence. Don't you know how hot takes work, Rocket? You're just <laughs> supposed to come on, say some guy's crap, don't back it up <laughs> with any sort of evidence. Damn you. Uh, no, no. Well, uh, very well expressed. I think it's a really interesting insight into where three very good players are. Just at the moment, I reckon we might keep that one going. It's a winner. I've just got to think of a name. Rocket Scorches or uh, Get Stuck In or <laughs> one of those sort of things. Cup of tea with Rocket. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. This is That isn't your forte. Uh, all right. Uh, there's our news for this week. Uh, split round, obviously, but still six big games to preview. Uh, let's get stuck into those. On Footyology, previews with Punch. Round 14 kicks off on Thursday evening. Of course, the by-round CD welcome reintroduction of Thursday night football. Uh, we're in Adelaide, Adelaide Oval, 7.40pm Eastern Standard Time, the kickoff. And the game is a cracker. It's Port Adelaide 
up against Geelong. Port Adelaide, of course, absolutely flying at the moment. Ten wins in a row now after a 22-point win over the Western Bulldogs last Friday night. Geelong coming off the bye. Ooh, historically, it doesn't all go well for the Cats. Been a bit messy for them sometimes coming off the bye. How these two sides shape up against each other. Uh, Geelong have won eight of the last 11 against the Power. Interestingly, though, two of those Port wins have come in qualifying finals at this very venue. Uh, Speaking of which, it's a good one for Port. They have won seven out of eight at that, the seven of their last eight appearances at Adelaide Oval. And the Cats at this ground, uh, they've won more than they've lost. They've won nine and they've lost eight. Uh, personnel issues we'll talk about in a second, but uh, just your initial thoughts on this one, Rocket? Well, initial thoughts, it's very hard to go against Port Adelaide. At some stage, they're going to have a down game. Um, I don't think we're going to be able to pick which one that is, uh, but uh, it could be this weekend after a tiring game and the and the, and the the Cats have had a buy and all fresh, or the Cats could be flat because they haven't played enough. So, But I think the Cats will get some players back, but I... I you can't go past Port. Um, uh, Charlie Dixon back last week gave him a vocal up forward, and his his game is not measured in positions. He's just that uh, aggressive contesting player. Marshall was good back last week, but the midfield. I'm Emery. I saw that. Well, is he probably the best player in the competition at the moment? Um, him and Rosie and Horn Francis are three. And I mean, then midfield the next few years is going to be dynamic. Um, Boke now can play in a wing and be a support role, which is what they obviously hoped for. Um, now, they look a, a really complete side. I thought everything was for the Bulldogs last week. Playing at home, they needed to win. Um, and the Bulldogs really gave it a fair crack. But uh, I think they withstood the challenge. They did exceptionally well, and they were very impressive. Now, one that stood up for me last week was Lysett. Uh, he was ter- terrific against Jim English. He's been the best ruck in the competition. Um, so I think he can further stamp himself. You know, he got dropped, and obviously it was the right time to drop him. It's a, it's a needle he needed, um, but I don't think he can go past the, another power this week. They're buzzing, aren't they? That that goal that Horn Francis kicked, uh, fantastic passage of play, and it ended up with Horn Francis sort of the the you know, smoothest silk pick up, and then getting balanced onto his right foot and, and kicking it to the. The left of the screen, just uh, that said everything about how they're going as a side at the moment. And above and beyond anything else, just bring it down to tin tack. They win on the road. You know, that was their, I think, eighth or ninth, it might have been winning in a row at Marble Stadium. And at the MCG, um, even the ones they've lost, they've lost narrowly. So very dependable home or away. And, you know, like it shouldn't be such a fundamental determinator of whether or not Victoria side can win a flag, but unfortunately it is because you've got to win a flag at the MCG. And I, I have more faith in them doing that than just about any non-Victorian side I can remember. Um, let's talk quickly about personnel. So uh, they're in a decent place. Obviously, Miss Giordiati's out for the season. Uh, Xavier Dersma getting closer, uh, resumed running last week and uh, expected to step up skills work this week, probably still about three weeks away. Um Lockie Jones was the unfortunate one there. Uh, jaw injury late in that win last week and didn't have surgery, but he's probably still going to be out for three to four weeks. Um, the Aratio Fantasia Memorial actually got corrected by someone saying it can't be Memorial. He's not dead. Well, <laughs> I don't know. Well, he gets injured so frequently. I think that's the, that's the next step. Uh, no, I shouldn't joke about that, but um, he's not even being mentioned on the injury list now. Poor old rest. Uh, anyway, uh, that's where Port's injuries are at Geelong. Now, Jai Clark, uh, medium term, the prognosis for him with a foot injury. Uh, test for Mitch Duncan, closing in on a return, probably not this week, though. The big one, though, Paddy Dangerfield, the skipper, set to return this week after missing the past four games with a hamstring. And uh, my boy, Maxie Holmes, Rocket, he's recovered from meniscus surgery. And he's pushing for selection this week. And he would be a very important return for them, I think. So, interesting one for the Cats. They they went off the boil a bit, had a decent win leading up to the bye. So, there's competing priorities here. I sort of think, okay, they got their mojo back, but now they've had the bye. History says they don't come up from the bye. 
do I risk it when what would be a big upset win against a side that's won 10 in a row at home? It's pretty hard to sort of justify tipping them, I reckon. Yeah, it is. Um, obviously, they're, you know, they've been a great side and they're a great club. Uh, the catch, you wouldn't totally write them. Dangerfield's going to be a plus, but he's missed with the buys, missed five weeks. So even as good as he is, um, he will be rusty. Um, so, no, I, I can't go past uh, the power. I got the power by 15 points. 15 points. Uh, yeah, I think that, uh, I think the Cats might keep them pretty honest. I'll go for Port Adelaide to win that one by eight points. Uh, that is a big Thursday night game. Uh, let's talk about what happens on Friday. 7.50pm Friday evening at the Gabba, we have Brisbane taking on Sydney. Uh, the Lions are in fourth spot, eight and four, but coming off a really disappointing loss to Hawthorne uh, at the MCG last weekend by 25 points. And they've lost their last two games now, the Lions. Sydney, really disappointing follow-up from a grand final appearance this year has been for them. 13th on the ladder, five and seven after that uh, loss on their home deck by 14 points to St Kilda. Uh, Sydney won 11 games in a row against Brisbane between 2010 and 2018, but the Lions have won three of the last four meetings. And the venue, always a big factor when it's the Gabba. Brisbane at the Gabba are now 44 wins from their last 52 games since the start of 2019. That's sort of Cadinia Park-esque record, that one. Um, Sydney's last trip there, though, did give the Swans a surprise win. That was the opening game of 2021 when the likes of Errol Goulden and those kids were uh, unveiled to the world very impressively. Uh, and not playing that sort of footy though at the moment. I'll talk about injuries shortly, but uh, what do you reckon, Rocket? Two sides, pretty disappointing last week. Oh, really disappointing both teams. Um, and I was really disappointed in the Swans. I thought... Uh, and they're probably a bit stiff with a couple of 50-metre penalties paid against them. They're a bit overzealous, the umpires, I think, at that stage. So they were, they were probably in the game. But really, I thought for the occasion, playing back at home, but only 350th, and I thought uh, I thought that, I thought they could win that game. Um, it shows that they've, they've really fallen off the perch. Uh, the biggest issue, biggest thing for me for this game is going to be the bounce-back factor. They've copped a kick in the backside of the Lions uh, away from home again. They will bounce back. Um, history shows that they do. Uh, it won't prove anything for their finals credentials, only getting the four points. But I think uh, I think they'll win that. Dunkley, you, you can imagine if Dunkley wasn't playing. I mean, the year he's had consistently, week in and week out, being their best player. Um, if he wasn't there, where, where they would be? And he's given their midfield a bit more grunt. Neil's meals dropped off a little bit. Um, he needs to probably go that extra step to to lift them up. Rich is out injured, but looks like it's his second calf in the back of playing three games. So it's an old man's injuries, maybe on the way out. Um, but uh, they just need more consistency. But I think they'll get it at the Gabba with the crowd behind them. So I can't see the Lions losing this one. Well, one thing in their factor is a, uh, a shortish injury list. Um, now, McLuggage obviously won't play this week because of concussion protocols, but was walking laps, uh, we're told, yesterday. That is Tuesday. Um, so, look, he, he's not... Well, no, no concussions, great, but uh, this one appears to be on the lesser end of the scale, which is welcome news, so he should be okay for round 15. Uh, Reese Matheson, serious hamstring injury, still about uh, four weeks away uh, for him. Now, for the Swans, uh, Nick Blakey was cleared a concussion against the Saints, but has a test on an injured toe ahead of the game this week. Uh, Joel Amati probably comes into the 22 from that sub position. Uh, Dane Rampey also back to full fitness after neck injury. Helen Mills closing in on a return one to two weeks, the prognosis there. Uh, McDonald and Roberts both running again. Uh, Peter Laddams uh, back in the gym, yet to commence running though, so still a way off for him to be confirmed from an ankle. Uh, Tom McCartan, of course, concussion, showing signs of improvement, but uh, his return to play remains unclear. So, look, 
You run through that. In fairness, the Swans uh, haven't injuries haven't been kind to them this year, and strategic injuries too. It's not just a score of midfield, is it? They've lost calls, and that's really set them back, hasn't it? Yeah, it has, and and they've struggled to cope with that. And I think Mills is a really is a really big out for them. Is a leadership and strength in the midfield as well. So. Yeah, they've uh, they've obviously been disappointing. There's reasons for that. Obviously, injury being the main one. But uh, uh, even uh, even with McCluggage and Richie out, I, I can't see the Lions losing this one. And I've got uh, 27 points for them. 27 points. Yeah, we're definitely on the same page of this one. I've got Brisbane by 26 points and another defeat might just about be curtains for the Swans for the finals for 2023, which would be a major surprise. All right, that's Thursday and Friday evening. Let's talk about Saturday. Well, it is the split rounds, uh, so you've got to make do with what you got. That's a, let's just leave it there. This game is 4.35pm Saturday afternoon at Giants Stadium between GWS and Fremantle. The Giants, 14th on the ladder, 5-8. and eight. Uh, Really interesting thing with the Rockets. Uh, with the Rockets. Actually, that would be a good nickname, the Rockets. Uh, the Giants' rocket is that seven of their eight losses this year have been by 21 points or less. Yeah, they've been in games. Yeah. There's, there's just been that one blowout against Collingwood, and even that game, they were competitive till late. So they cannot argue with their consistency of effort. Uh, but a win last week, they beat North Melbourne by 28 points in Hobart. Fremantle slipped to 10th on the ladder, 6-6 six and six their record after a uh, disappointing Home loss to Richmond by 15 points. Head-to-head, uh, Fremantle lead this uh, head-to-head record 8-5, and they've won four of the last five against the Giants. Giants Stadium hasn't been that great uh, venue for the home side either. They're only 5-5, five and five, five wins, five losses there since the start of last season. And here's an interesting one. Fremantle at Giants Stadium, they've only played there twice and the last time was six years ago in 2017. Fremantle has tended to play the Giants either in Perth or in Canberra, GWS's second home. Uh, some injuries I'll rattle off shortly. Uh, like we said, Rocket, Giants being competitive. Dockers have improved, but disappointing last week. Uh, this one's an interesting poser. Yeah, it is. I, I really can't pick it to... I thought Fremantle were really disappointing last week to really get a chance to get inside the eight, and they, they let that slip. Um, they just weren't aggressive enough. Um, they didn't take the game on, but they weren't aggressive enough at the footy either. Um, and uh, and they thoroughly deserved to lose last week. I, I struggled to pick this one. Um, I've been on the Giants all year. I just got a feeling they may just have another close loss. Um where they've made their losses, and what's the security game? They just make some horrendous blues, and as even the Richmond game as well. They just lost them nearly the last kick of the game. Just some horrendous blues at the wrong time, um, bad handball or bad kick, and then they get hurt on turnover. Um, now they do try and take the game on. They 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 you know they do show some talent. Um, they've got their top end talent and six or eight players, and they've got a lot of youngsters. Um, and, I, you know, you can see they're planning for the future a bit with young Catman. But uh, they could very easily win this because I don't trust Fremantle. Um, but I think Fremantle have got a bit more to play for and I probably would go their way. Selection's going to be massive here and uh, should stress we are doing this before sides are selected. But for the Giants particularly, uh, Cumming, uh, Isaac Cumming, Josh Kelly and Sam Taylor all got fitness tests looming to see if they can potentially get up for this game. And that would make a massive difference, wouldn't it? I mean, Cummings ha- handy enough, but Josh Kelly, obviously pivotal midfield, and Sam Taylor, one of the best defenders in the competition. So, gee, if all three, you don't think all three come back on one hit, but even two of the three back would make a, a pretty big difference. So that's um, it'll be a big watch on selection for the Giants. Fremantle's injury situation, um, Sean Darcy targeting a round 15 return against Essendon. Uh, won't play this week, though. James H, um, Goss, uh, of course, has to go into the concussion protocols after that collision with Ryan Mansell, the uh, Tiger. Will Brody rolled his ankle in training last week and will miss again. 
Uh, Michael Walters came back as substitute last week. Um, he could be a bigger factor. We'll probably play the full game, you'd think, this week. And that five back in harness as well. Yeah, geez, it's hard to pick this one, isn't it? You, I mean, the Giants are reliable, but probably not quite good enough. Fremantle notoriously unreliable, but you know their best is good enough. Do you count on them to produce their best after a disappointing home loss? I'm going to give them one last chance. I'll tell you what, this is one game where if the side I pick doesn't win, I'm going to be absolutely filthy on them and never pick them again as long as I win. <laughs> That's how I'm feeling about this one. Yeah, yeah. There's a, it's, it's the lack of trust in Fremantle. They just haven't built that up over a period of time, have they? And Travelling to Sydney, which is the longest road trip, no, uh, all the way there, and then out to, out to Giant Stadium, out at uh, Homebush. It's a big drive for them. Uh, so... Uh, I, yeah, I'm like you. I'll give. I think they've got a bit to play for. I'll give them one last chance as well. Um, I'm been on the Giants bandwagon. That they could easily win. They if they get everything to click together, with Green and Whitfield and uh, Canilio. They, now they've got some talent, but I just give the Dockers if they don't if they don't win this, they won't certainly won't make the eight. All right, give us a uh, margin. Uh, seven points. Fremantle boys, seven points. Uh, hey, just quickly too, Adam Kingsley. He's got it. I don't know what it is, but there's something about a coaching presence. He clearly knows his stuff. He's been an assistant coach so long. He has that sort of authoritative air, I think. You can tell the players are really on board with him. Uh, I don't know. Just the more I see of him, the more I'm convinced he is going to be a really, really good coach. Yeah, I have too. Uh, And I I like that he gets involved. He's passionate in the game too. Where's his heart and sleeve to a degree? I, to me, that shows he's invested in the game. And you see some coaches just sit there deadpan going because they're worried about what the camera's going to show them. Well, just, yeah. I, no, no, I like the way he goes about it. Well, that was always the knock on you, Rocket. You just never showed enough emotion in the box. He didn't care, really. He didn't care whether he won a lot. <laughs> okay. We'll follow that one up at a later date. All right. Uh, let's talk about Saturday evening. Well, big Saturday night clash at the MCG, 7.25pm sees Richmond taking on St Kilda. The Tigers, 12th spot on the ladder, five wins, seven losses and a draw after a terrific win in Perth over Fremantle by 15 points. Uh, Won their last two games now under standing coach Andrew McWalter, who's um, impressing plenty of people so far in this uh, temporary role. St Kilda, fifth on the ladder, uh, and they're on a high too. 8-4, the Saints, after a really good win over Sydney at the SCG last week. Um, consistency, maybe not as much. In fact, the Saints have now gone loss-win, loss-win for the last eight games. Head-to-head, these two, uh, it's pretty even of late. 3-2 Richmond's way since 2020. Uh, what about the venue? Richmond at the MCG in 2023 have only won two out of the eight games. It could be a little misleading, though, because there's also a draw and no loss has been by more than 18 points. So not having a great year, Richmond, but they haven't been far off it by the same token. And St Kilda at the MCG in recent times has been pretty good. The Saints, in fact, have won four of their five games at the G since 2021. Both these sides have had uh, major injury issues throughout the course of the year, which we'll talk about shortly. But um, oh, it's an interesting one, Rocket. And a good subplot here too with McQualter, the standing coach, up against, uh, well, it's uh, his master's voice job, Ross Lyon, of course, the man who coached him uh, at St Kilda in two grand finals and 90-odd games. So he'll be keen to impress his, his former tutor as well. Yes, uh, he certainly know the way that Ross Lyon coaches, and I see a lot of similarities St Kilda now to what was St Kilda were before, except uh, having as much talent at his disposal. But I don't think his games change much; a little bit quicker. But they defend the same way, really virtually. Numbers back, a lot of effort, a lot of tackling, um, score on turnover. Uh, yeah, can I just stop you there? Is it just is that in itself an indictment on? the game not having progressed all that much in 10 years? I think the game's progressed a little bit the way 
teams move the ball. There's no doubt they go a little bit shorter where the runners go to receive it. So I think to get through the team defence and to get through uh, situations uh, that the game has progressed. But I think if you can defend with effort and pressure and you've got a reasonable system, um, uh, yeah, I, I, I don't think that's going to change a lot. I mean, the defensive systems have changed a little bit. Uh, some teams they'll have an anchor and have a player back already and whatever the case. I'd love to have a plus one, but it's a good love to have a plus one or a plus two. Tom Stewart's the best at it. James Sisley's very good at it. Uh, Luke Ryan of the, of, of the Dockers, Stephen May. So, yeah, it's, you know, it's modified, but it's still the basics are the same. So, um, But, they've, you know, they've got some speed. Uh, they can keep the goal on turnover. They do turn the turn the ball around really quickly once they once they get going. Tigers are really impressive last week. Um, obviously, Pickett will be out. Mansell will be out. Uh, does that affect them greatly? Uh, probably depends who replaces them, but probably not. Uh, you think they get a lot of confidence from what they did last week. Durando's been in sensational form. Uh, you expect him to continue that. Um, you can't. It's interesting, and I'm, I'm not a punter, Rowan, but they've got the Tigers' favourites. Uh, really? $1.74 to 2.10, and I would have thought Secura would have to be favourites. And uh, for that reason, even though it's MCG, that's the reason I'll pick the Saints in a close one, I reckon. That is interesting. I would have thought it would have been very hard to make that. Unless there's a lot of Tiger supporters on the back of last week and put some money on them. Uh, well, maybe. Uh, yeah. Let's talk about personnel. Ivan Soldo has to get through training, but a chance to play after a persistent plantar fasciitis injury. Uh, Toby Nankervis, he's okay after a cork quad. You mentioned uh, Marlon Pickett, of course. Uh, Tiger's uh, stating he won't be playing this week after his court Appearance in Perth. Uh, one guy I always like seeing in that side, Morris Rioli Jr., uh, came back in the VFL successfully last week. Um, I wonder if they'd roll the dice on him. I reckon he's pretty important to them in terms of pace and forward pressure. Yeah, yeah either one that may replace Mansell is at, at forward. That's a good call. And uh, Jacob Hopper and Noah Cumberland, two other important players in the mix too. Uh, they will come back after Richmond's bye, which is next week. So, yeah, it's a big game for them because if they can just – they're a game and a half outside the eight. If they can jaggle in here, they've got then they've got the bye. Then they've got some of those players I mentioned coming back. It really changes the equation. He does, and this is a big game for them. Uh, I think you're right. If they, they don't win this, and the teams are the seventh and eighth and ninth win, it's, I think it's a bridge too far for them. Um, but there were certainly scarce some teams on the way in because, as you mentioned earlier, they haven't lost games by a lot. They've been in most games. They've been really competitive. But, and I expect them to be competitive on the weekend, but I just don't think they've been out of the line. Just quickly on the Saints uh, personnel, uh, Tim Membry uh, ruled out again. Been a frustrating season for him. He's out with uh, knee soreness. Jones and McKenzie both expected to return with uh, Sandringham next weekend after missing the first Half of the season, uh, still got plenty of decent players to come back to. The Saints, Billings out, Clark out, Caulfield out. Uh, I've had a lot of players out, so I guess when you think about that, it's been a pretty commendable effort by the Saints this year. Look, yeah, for, for mine, they should definitely be favourites, but uh, gee, I, I reckon Richmond, oh, the motivation's high, probably just a little bit more to be playing for right this week than the Saints, who wouldn't be the end of the world if they drop one here. I'm going to go for the Tigers. I, I reckon they can they can do this. Uh, Richmond by four points for me. Yeah, I'll go the Saints by nine points. Should be a tight game and uh, probably suggests it's probably going to be a low-scoring game, isn't it, Rocket? I would imagine so. It won't be much. It'll be about 80 to 70. Right? He said with a touch of understatement. Uh, all right, let's turn our attention to Sunday. Okay, we've had some massive uh, crowds at the MCG over the last week. Uh, don't think this game's going to be one of them. One ten Sunday afternoon, Carlton playing Gold Coast. Well, desperate straights for the Blues now after that loss to Essendon last week. They're 15th on the ladder. They've lost six in a row and they've lost eight of their last nine. Gold Coast are 11th, uh, six wins, six losses and had the bye last week. Uh, they have won five of their last seven games now, the Suns, so they've been reasonably consistent of late. Head-to-head, 
it's nine wins to Carlton, seven to the Suns, who have won the last two clashes between these clubs. And they haven't ever played each other at the MCG. Every clash between these two has been either at Carrara or um, at Docklands. Carlton at the MCG, well, their record at the G, frankly, is hideous. They've won one of their last nine games at the grand final venue. At Gold Coast at the MCG, they just don't play their rocket. They've only played there five times over the last six years. And their overall record, the Suns, at the G, uh, as you'd expect, not great. Four wins and 12 losses. I'll talk about injuries shortly, but, uh, uh, yeah, little bird just told me that Carlton's actually favourite with the betting agencies for this, which uh, I'm not sure they deserve that favourite. No, I can't read. It must be Carlton supporters putting money on thinking they beat the Suns, yeah, that uh, they got them as favourites. But the Suns formed the last I know it was in Darwin and it... Uh, Probably the but they coach two good sides Adelaide and um, Adelaide and the Bulldogs. Now, um, I, I in a way Carlton are playing. I, I think their efforts been quite good up until last week. They've, they've been woeful in front of goals, absolute, and were deplorable going the week at the, the weekend. But I saw at the weekend with their mistakes going through the midfield as well. Their kicking was poor. I just saw some heads drop. It was like it was a breaking point to me at the weekend. It was like, oh, here we go. They've worked hard, worked hard, hit a brick wall, hit a brick wall. Guys don't convert. Don't convert again against us. And they're in the gut. They should have been well in front at half time. And all of a sudden, in the third quarter, they've Essendon kicked a couple of uh, goals. And then Carlton turned it over. And it's like the players have just exasperated with it. So that was an indication for me that. It's going to be difficult for them to get back up. I know Cripps is out of form, Mackay's out of form. Uh, I just don't know where the lift is going to come from. So I, I, I can't see them beating the Suns, to be honest. Um, if you're coaching the Suns, you were coaching the Suns, but if you're coaching them now, you'd be selling this as... You'd smell blood in the water, wouldn't you? I remember the Suns beat Hollingwood at the G a couple of years ago, and it, you, you thought even before the game, is there a chance here? I reckon Stewie Jew would really be selling that message to the, the troops, wouldn't he? This could be a real credibility-enhancing win. Oh, yeah, very much so. And I think the last two weeks are going some really good sides. Uh, now, they, now their confidence is up. So it be more of the same of what they're doing. So keep their consistency. Uh, and both those games you know, against uh, Adelaide, they were six goals down. Against uh, Bulldogs, they were three goals down. And they were able to come back and win the game. So they've got that bit of persistence and perseverance with them as well. And um, I... Um, you just know Carlton are going to turn the ball over. You just know uh, Ballard's a really good intercept mark and he marks the ball well. So I don't think Kerno and Collins really is a competitor. So I think they've got two players that can play on Kerno and Mackay. I'll just talk about uh, personnel before we give you our tips. Carlton expect uh, both George Hewitt and Mark Pitnett to return this week. Um, Marchback due to play senior footy last weekend, but got sore before the game withdrew. No certainty to return this week. Nick Newman should return after the bye. Uh, for the Suns, very short injury list for them. Uh, big name on it, though, of course, Took Miller. Um, he would still appear some time away yet, uh, probably four weeks at least. So uh, they've done well to soldier on as well as they have without him. Uh, Connor Butterick. Close to resuming after knee surgery. Lockie Weller, uh, still another week or two away. Uh, so, yeah, three important names there, but um, maybe their depth is getting a little bit better, the Suns, because uh, they've performed pretty well in their absence. Okay, uh, tip and a margin, Rocket. Uh, the Suns by 21 points. Okay. Um, bold, bold, brassy. I, I don't know why. I'm... This is where my conservatism as a tipster is really annoying. I, I should be tipping Gold Coast. I don't know. I just kept thinking, surely Carlton can't keep losing. It's at the MCG. Crowd will get behind Well, what crowd? Uh, but what crowd there is will get behind them. Um, yeah, all right. I'm, it's just a hunch, but maybe this is the way Carlton turns it around. I think it'll be a battle for them, though. Uh, I'm going to go for Carlton by 18 points. Round 14 wraps up at 4.40pm Sunday afternoon, Marvel Stadium, with a game between North Melbourne and the Western Bulldogs. 
Uh, Kegaroo, seven eighth on the ladder, two wins, 11 losses, and those 11 losses in a row, of course. Uh, 28 points to margin of defeat against GWS down in Hobart last week. And the Bulldogs turning into a nah, nothing sort of season for them. Eighth on the ladder, they're seven six after a 22 point loss to Port Adelaide last week. Uh, head to head, well, Bulldogs. Pretty one-way traffic. The Bulldogs have won eight of ten meetings between these two since 2016. What about the venue? Home ground for both. North Melbourne, three wins, 13 losses at Marvel Stadium since the start of last year. And over that same time period, the Bulldogs have won 11 of 17. So uh, certainly got the better four. Uh, Not much doubt they've got the better personnel the doggies, but uh, as we've discussed, uh, a bit up and down, a bit uninspiring at times with their style, some of their key players not delivering their best. Uh, and North Melbourne, recent week, um, the effort's been pretty reasonable, Rocket. So are they any sort of chance at all here, the Roots? Um, yeah, there are a chance, but not a big chance, I think. It's, it's going to depend on players coming back, um, which will get to the... Uh, Injury list in a minute. Uh, uh, that is the least convincing year. There's some sort of chance, I think, of it. Well, it will depend on whether uh, David Juniak, Simkin, whether these players are back. Uh, it will be a similar chance. Yep. So, yep. But, uh, you, know, the, you know, Bulldogs, you know, against Port, if you, if you want to go on a positive, they're in the game right till the end. Um, they've got, I think they've just got too much talent. They've got too much in, in I really worry about North's defence, especially their tall defenders. Um, now we spoke about Norton earlier, but if if they get the ball in quickly enough and look for Norton, he, you know he can have a field day. Uh, I just worry about them in defence. Their youngsters at North show a lot of promise. I, I think like Hawthorne, in two or three years' time, they're going to be a really good side. I think uh, they're, they're exciting. You know the way they're building at the moment. Uh, but the Bulldogs have got too much to play for. They just they've lost three on the row now. Uh, three in a row. You said that when they get on a roll. Winning, they get on a roll, but when they get on a roll, losing, they get on a roll that way as well. So a reverse uh, roll. But uh, I, I think the Bulldogs from this one, I think they're just going to have too much challenge. Just a quick one on North Melbourne's defence. One thing I've noticed with them, that they concede a lot of easy goals, don't they? There'll be a lot of times where opposition forwards are just in acres of space. Now it's hard to tell for TV sometimes. I've only seen them in the flesh a couple of times this season. But is that, you suspect, a defensive issue or is it more an issue about lack of midfield pressure? Uh, I think it's a bit of both. I think they get through too easily. It's probably on turnover where you know, they play a handball game. They, they still try and play offensive, the, uh, the ruse, which is good, which is commendable. Uh, but they do have a turnover. So on turnover, they get caught out at the back. Uh, but sometimes I think some of their defenders get lost. I think they... They don't stick to their system and their player will get out the back. So they've just got to just have a few tweaks, I think. Uh, and I think the skill level will improve over the next 12 months or so. So those turnovers won't be as, as prevalent as they are now. Let's have a, a quick chat about personnel. Uh, you talked about those key players in the north. Uh, they're hopeful. Davies, Uniac, Simkin and Greenwood can all come back this week. So obviously that would make... A big difference. Uh, Tristan Zeri, the Ruckman, finally closing in on a return. That, obviously, though, would be in the VFL, not at senior level. Um, one thing that's hurt the Bulldogs we haven't mentioned, but it becomes obvious when you look at the casualty list, uh, running defenders, both yeah. Richards and Johannesson out, and that really uh, hurts their capacity to generate rebound, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah uh, we spoke about that last week. That was that was really going to be an issue for them once, uh, once Richards was out. Uh, an update on young Sam Darcy too. Uh, fractured jaw in the VFL. He's had surgery on that now, but uh, still a few weeks away. Of course, prior to that, he had a uh, what was it? A hole in the lung. Oh, yeah, discovered. So it hasn't hasn't been the uh, sort of dream debut year for the uh, the young man. So uh, all the best to young Sam in his recovery from that uh, surgery for a fractured jaw. Um, all right, yeah, look, I, I, yeah, you can't really tip north at the moment. I, I thought they were reasonable against the Giants, but uh, just found wanting a bit for class and experience yeah, and, right time, yeah. and strength in the end. So at this stage of their development, they're not quite there. And 
Well, seriously, I mean, the Bulldogs, they just have to win to stay in the mix. And uh, I think they will. I'm going to go for the Western Bulldogs by 32 points. What about you? Uh, the Bulldogs, yeah, by 25 points. What was that margin? 25. 25 points. All right, that is the uh, the final game of round 14. So just a, a little addendum off the top here too. Of course, the uh, Reckling Community Cup on again this Sunday afternoon at Victoria Park in Collingwood. Um, and just a, a little shout-out to people. Ordinarily, I am there to present the Steve Connolly Medal for the best player on the ground between the Megahertz and the Rock Dogs. Uh, can't do it this year, unfortunately. Um, have some work commitments with 3AW, but uh, it's a great afternoon. So, look, if you neither of those games in Melbourne appeal, head down to Victoria Park and have uh, a lot of fun watching uh, uh, rock royalty um, get around and do their stuff in uh, not that uh, terrific style at Victoria Park. Always a fun afternoon there. Um, Thanks to your contribution, Rocket. A really solid performance from you. Uh, you, you won't be the subject of my under the pump uh, segment, which I'm going to start next week. No, I'm not. Well, uh, that was good work, and we'll keep that one going. Uh, thanks for your input. Thanks for listening, everyone. Uh, have a great and safe weekend, uh, particularly if you're headed off on holiday somewhere. Um, some tragic stuff going on there in. New South Wales and our thoughts with all people affected by that as well. Um, Thanks for listening, everyone. We'll see you next week.